Professional wrestling, like real life, is full of surprises. Hi everyone, it's Freddie Prinze Jr. And it's no surprise I can talk wrestling all day, any day. Kind of like how State Farm agents can talk insurance and help you choose the right coverage. When it comes to important insurance decisions, let State Farm support you with the coverage you need backed with 24-7 support. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Hola a todos. I'm Wilmer Valderrama. And I'm Emma Raquel. Hey, Wilmer. Yep. Happy Hispanic Heritage Month. Oh, yeah. It's happy Hispanic Heritage. It's not like the whole thing is not happy Hispanic Heritage Month, right? It's not like Happy Thanksgiving. It's like Hispanic Heritage Month, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. How, how do you, I, I'm so curious, how do you spend it? Like you don't bake a turkey, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I would say I bake one turkey every single day for Hispanic Heritage <laughs> Month. <laughs> Is it because it's nice and golden and brown? Exactly. So, so. Yeah, that's that's okay. right. <laughs> well, how about we start a new tradition by speaking to some more amazing Latina women who have literally changed history with the work they do. Yes, I can't think of anything I'd rather do. And luckily, that's exactly what we have planned for today. So who are our incredible guests today? Our essential worker this week is Blanca Arroyo, who has been working on California farms for over 20 years and who didn't stop working to feed her family and yours when COVID hit. We were so lucky to connect with her and learn what it's really like out there working in the fields. I'm really excited to share her story with all of you. Me too. And after Blanca's story, a roundtable truly does not get better. I mean, we're incredibly fortunate to have these beautiful visionaries with us. We have Monica Ramirez, the founder and president of Justice for Migrant Women, who advocates for farm workers and essential workers across a variety of fields, and whose open letter about the Me Too movement helped jumpstart the Time's Up organization. Along with Monica, we'll speak with the absolute legend, Dolores Huerta. It is nearly impossible to sum up Dolores' impact on this country and the world in such a short amount of time, but we're going to try. Senora Huerta has been a labor activist and civil rights leader since the 1960s, co-founding the National Farm Workers Association with Cesar Chavez, organizing the Delano Grape Strike, working to pass numerous pieces of legislation to ensure the basic human rights of migrant workers. And at 91 years old, she's still very much in the fight, having founded the Dolores Huerta Foundation in 2002. And my favorite bit of Dolores trivia, however, is that she is the originator of the call to action, Si se puede! Si se puede. <laughs> I think I put a little too much sauce in that, but that's how you're supposed to yell it, okay? Uh, I still can't believe we get to talk to Senora Huerta and Monica. What a huge honor. They both gave us incredible insight into the work that still needs to be done on behalf of farm workers and immigrants. 
the unique challenges these essential workers face these past two years and how we as a community can best support them. Honestly, to say these individuals are heroes of mine is an absolute understatement. But before we get started, this week we're doing something a little differently. Blanca spoke with us in Spanish, so to honor her story, we'll be sharing her words with you first in Spanish and then afterwards in English for all you lovely gringos out there. <laughs> well, I'm excited to get to hear both versions, especially because for us, I know for Mr. and I, it's incredibly special to hear her voice and the language in which she has lived her truth and uh, the soul in her voice, really. There's just one more thing before we get started. What did I forget? Well, you facilitated the conversation with Blanca this week. Oh, yeah, that's right. So Blanca's story in Spanish starts right now. For English speakers, you can find the English version of Blanca's interview at 22 minutes. Mi nombre es Blanca Arroyo. Yo vivo en el condado de Monterrey. Um, es estado de California. Tengo más de 20 años. Este, soy una trabajadora agrícola. Le quiero agradecer muchísimo por hablar conmigo hoy, por compartir su historia, por su tiempo. Y espero con, que con esta conversación se puede celebrar y reconocer el trabajo que usted ha hecho durante muchos años y aún lo hizo durante la pandemia, cuando tantas personas se permanecieron en casa. Mientras tanto, usted estaba fuera de casa, ahí en el field, cosechando los vegetales y las frutas para alimentar este país. Para empezar, ¿puede describir cómo se ve un día típico para usted? Ok, un día típico, uh, pues nos levantamos a las cuatro y media de la mañana a hacer nuestra, nuestro lonche para nosotros y para nuestros hijos. Después los llevas, vas, los llevas a la niñera, te vas a tu trabajo. El trabajo empieza de las seis de la mañana hasta las cuatro de la tarde. Trabajamos um, en el brócoli, en la uva en la fresa, diferentes um, tipos de, de trabajo, pero todo es en el campo. Cosechamos la, la fruta, cosechamos la verdura y después de, de nuestro trabajo tenemos que venir y recoger a nuestros hijos de, de la niñera. Este, para nosotros es, es difícil también porque muchas veces um, no estamos con ellos en días como su cumpleaños, Um, por la razón que tenemos que ir a trabajar. También mm. es difícil porque los dejamos y otras personas, la niñera es la que los lleva a la escuela. Entonces mm. es un trabajo bastante duro el campo también para nosotras, para las madres de familia. Um, yo trabajo porque yo no quiero ser una carga para el Estado, yo no quiero ser una carga para el gobierno, yo quiero salir adelante con mis hijos, trabajar para darles lo lo poco o lo que yo puedo. Eso suena bien duro, bien difícil. Me imagino que sus hijos sienten mucho orgullo de todo lo que haces para ellos. Eh, relacionado un poquito con la niñez, ¿cuándo fue que llegaste a este país? ¿Cuántos años tenías? ¿Y eh, por qué empezaste a trabajar en el FIL? Cuando yo vine yo tenía apenas 14 años. Entonces mi padre llegó primero a Estados Unidos y después vine yo, pero yo pensé que yo venía como a la escuela, ¿verdad? Tristemente no, tristemente yo sí quería ir a la escuela porque a mí siempre me ha gustado la escuela, pero um, atrás había quedado mi mamá, mi hermano chiquito y mi hermana. Entonces tuve que ir a trabajar con mi papá al brócoli y era muy difícil porque a veces no alcanzaba las máquinas 
y tu infancia, tu juventud, pues se, se termina porque tomas responsabilidades que no son tuyas, tomas responsabilidades de ir a trabajar y, y desde ahí se te mete en la cabeza, pues yo vine a este país a trabajar y a trabajar, tus sueños se van. Uf, esa imagen de usted que, que no podías alcanzar la máquina me llama la atención muchísimo y me muestra que durante una etapa en que la mayoría de los niños en los Estados Unidos estaban en la escuela, usted estaba trabajando y apenas podía alcanzar las máquinas que necesitaba para trabajar. Eso es muy, muy intenso. Y suena que fue muy difícil para ti llegar aquí pensando que irías a la escuela cuando en realidad ibas a trabajar. Eso también me llama la atención. Y como ya han pasado más de 20 años desde que empezaste a trabajar en el film, definitivamente eres una experta en lo que haces. Eh, ¿Puedes describir lo que haces a diario? ¿Con qué verduras y frutas estás trabajando? ¿Y cuál es el proceso de la cosecha? Claro que sí, mira, um, si vas a trabajar al, al brócoli, este, llegas, um, te pones tu, tu ropa, entonces tienes que cortar el brócoli, uh, después pasa una banda, una, va una máquina enfrente de ti, tienes que estar cortando, cortando, cortando uh, el brócoli. Entonces las mujeres van arriba de las máquinas y los, los hombres van abajo cortándolos. Entonces ese brócoli lo están um, recogiendo los tractores con los cajones grandes. Entonces él se va al, al empaque o al cooler y allá otras personas los están empaquetando, empa en, empacando. También este um, lo llevan a los empaques para que lo hagan ensalada. Eso es en el brócoli. Si vas a la uva, uh, un día normal en la uva, este ya cuando empieza la uva um, a crecer, pues tienes que limpiar el la lo que es la patita de la de la uva, este desbrotando, tienes que escoger los brotos que lleva cada mata, después um, empieza a crecer más, tienes que deshojarla, hacer espacio para que la uva este agarre el calor que necesita para que se ponga una madurez, que se madure, ¿verdad? Entonces um, la gente entra, puedes entrar a las 3 de la mañana a... Uh, a cortar uva, la tienes que cargar, son más de 20 libras, 25 libras que tienes que estar cargando frecuentemente, e ir a vaciarlo a unos cajones. Entonces, después de que ya llenaste esos cajones, esos cajones van directamente a pesar, después de pesar, los los mueven a la guainería. Entonces, otras personas ahí en la guainería um, se encargan de recibir esa esa uva y ya sigue el proceso hasta que se hace wine. Um, en la fresa, yo también trabajé en la fresa, este, igual también te tienes que poner calidad y pura calidad, pura calidad y toda esa, otras personas te las chequean para que pueda pasar y te las puedan pagar. Es mucho, mija, es mucho y todo eso um, lo hacen las personas um, como yo, los mis compañeros, este, las personas esenciales en este país. Haces tantos trabajos en cualquier día, pero ¿hay algo de lo que estés particularmente orgullosa relacionado con su trabajo específicamente durante la pandemia? Claro que sí. Yo yo creo que um, todos nos, nos sentimos um, orgullosos del trabajo que, que, que hacemos y más como cuando ves que se llevan todo el, el producto, toda la fruta o toda la verdura 
y llega a cada una de esas casas, tanto a mi casa como a tu casa, como a la casa del vecino, hasta la casa del presidente llegó uh -huh. las verduras de, de California. Entonces, eh, allí es el tiempo que dices tú, ahí está mi trabajo, ahí está mi, se puede decir, mi, ¿cómo te explico? Mi orgullo de ser una persona esencial. Se me pone la piel de gallina imaginar que la comida que cosechaste se le sirve al presidente. Eso de veras es un gran orgullo, es que increíble. Entonces, parece que el trabajo no se ralentizó demasiado cuando ocurrió la pandemia, pero ¿cómo eran sus días en el trabajo antes de la pandemia y qué cambios diarios ocurrieron debido a la pandemia? Anteriormente de que estuviera la pandemia, pues todo era normal. Podías saludar a tus compañeros, este, trabajabas um, pues tus ocho horas, tus nueve horas. Entonces, um, después de la pandemia, ya no fue así. Después de la pandemia, muchos perdimos nuestro trabajo a raíz de que no había quien se cuidara a tus hijos. Entonces, uh, teníamos que quedarnos en casa uno de los padres. En mi situación, eh, mis hijos mayores tuvieron que cuidar a sus hermanos más pequeños para que pudiéramos, yo pudiera salir a trabajar, ¿verdad? Pero era aquel miedo que no te puedes imaginar. Era un miedo de, de traer el, el COVID a casa. Enf nos enfrentamos a una... En el fil que tienes que trabajar de tu compañero dos surcos a un lado de él. No puedes estar cerca de él. No puedes platicar con ellos. No puedes agarrar tu lonche con ellos. No puedes... Eh, fue difícil. Sí, fue muy difícil porque... Después de, de unas semanas, creo que las dos semanas, era un problema porque no había tampoco comida en, las, en los supermercados. No había este comidas en el supermercado. este Entonces era otro otro trauma más que nosotros vino a la cabeza de nosotros como madres. Porque mm -hmm. ¿qué les vas a dar de comer a tus hijos? La alacena de tu casa se terminó. Entonces en el fil uh, el trabajo ya era diferente porque... Ya no eran tantas horas. Después tuvimos, aparte de que en este condado donde nosotros vivimos, este hubo quemazones, había mucho humo. Entonces tuvimos ese año, yo te puedo decir, bastante, bastante crítico. En una ocasión, yo en una ocasión este ya no había comida en el refrigerador, ya no tenía comida. Y... Le llamé a una persona um, de mi centro, de, de donde tenía mi niño. Esa persona uh, trajo comida a mi casa, a mi uh -huh. mesa. Gracias a ella yo tenía comida. Entonces, yo de cierta manera, yo me sentía que yo tenía que ir a hacer el trabajo y nadie me lo reconocía, nadie lo miraba. Y mis hijos, uh, siendo ciudadanos, tuvieron que uh, sufrir de cierta manera uh, carencias Um, a veces con la comida, uh, con la escuela, porque no, no había internet en las casas para las computadoras. Es muy difícil, muchacha. Es muy mm. difícil um, lo que pasamos. Gracias por compartir eso conmigo, Blanca. Eh, lo que usted pasó durante la pandemia 
Nadie debería pasar por eso. Y la ironía de que seas una persona que trabaja tan duro para proporcionar comida a los demás, pero que usted y su familia no tenían comida, es totalmente inaceptable. Y una gran disparidad que no solo debe ser abordada, sino resuelta. Jamás debería pasar por eso. Jamás. Aunque eh, la acabo de conocer hoy, solo quiero decir que soy muy agradecida de que hayas apoyado a tus hijos, a pesar de lo difícil que fue. Ellos son muy afortunados de tenerte como mamá y eh, eres una inspiración. Algo que aún no hemos mencionado que se relaciona con el evidente problema de que en algunos momentos usted no tenía los recursos que necesitaba durante la pandemia es la protección personal. Cuando estaba trabajando en el FIL, ¿se le proporcionaron mascarillas y otra protección personal? Pues mira, de principio, um, sí, ellos te, te daban um, las mascarillas, te daban eh, los guantes. Mi empleador, te puedo decir, trató de, de ayudarnos. Llegó el tiempo que no había mascarillas. Entonces, um, nosotros tuvimos que improvisar. Pues, nosotras las mujeres aquí en el condado de Monterrey usamos paños. Usamos paños para taparnos la, la cara, ¿verdad? Pero a ver que las necesidades de la mascarilla, este, pues, improvisaron. Uh, muchas señoras se pusieron a hacer um, sus propias mascaritas. Yo, gracias a... Um, Adiós, este, mi familia tuvo uh, unas mascarillas que nos regalaron este, la señora Mónica, Mónica este, um, Ramírez. Uh -huh. Consiguió una persona en, en Los Ángeles, un diseñador o alguien que miró mi historia, uh -huh. supo de mi historia y este y mandó um, unas mascarillas para mis wow. padres que ya son mayores. Oh. Y eso también yo te puedo decir, uh, yo lo agradezco, lo agradezco porque um, pues una ayuda, ¿me entiendes? Es increíble escuchar sobre Mónica y su organización para conseguirle mascarillas cuando las necesitaba. Saber que hay personas como Mónica que abogan por los trabajadores agrícolas hace una gran diferencia en la lucha por sus derechos, incluso cuando estos derechos deberían haber sido garantizados desde el principio. Pero, ¿cuáles son algunos de los derechos y protecciones y cambios que son necesarios para honrar, celebrar y respetar a los trabajadores agrícolas en este país? Um, pues para mí, por ejemplo, um, que se reconozca nuestro trabajo que estamos haciendo en el FIL uh, y que vean que, que nuestros, tanto yo como mis compañeros, como mi mamá, como mi padre que trabajaban en el FIL por mucho tiempo, Uh, no se les valoró su su trabajo. Entonces, hoy día esas personas um, ya son mayores y se quedaron sin un seguro médico, se quedaron um, enfermos porque ya no pueden trabajar, porque se lesionaron en el trabajo y debido a su estatus migratorio uh, no pueden hacer nada. Entonces, yo no quiero que pase eso conmigo. Yo quiero que, que si yo sigo trabajando en el FIL, Um, valoren que, que por nosotros, por muchos de, de, como yo, mis compañeros, muchas personas que no tenían el, no tenían que salir a trabajar en uh, cuando empezó la pandemia, tenían fruta, tenían verduras, tenían carnes, debido a que nosotros salíamos a trabajar y nosotros no teníamos el derecho de que a nosotros nos mandaban ayuda, a nosotros no nos mandaron ayuda 
Um, yo recibí una ayuda este, gracias a la fundación de César Chávez, gracias a, a ellos que um, dieron un, una ayuda a nosotros los esenciales aquí en California. No sé si en otros estados, pero a nosotros recibimos esa ayuda y yo agradezco um, a ellos, um, a la señora Huerta, porque el señor César Chávez ya no está, porque se preocuparon por nosotros los campesinos. Sí me gustaría de verdad, de verdad que que vieran que somos humanos, que vieran que no somos una carga pública, no somos somos como todas las personas que están en este país legales o no legales, todos tenemos la misma importancia. Somos seres humanos más que nada, somos seres humanos con sentimientos, somos esenciales en este país. Muchísimas gracias por decir todo eso, Blanca. Tengo la piel de gallina otra vez. Eso fue dicho con tanta fuerza. Lo sentí en todos los huesos de mi cuerpo. No podría estar más de acuerdo con usted. Y cada trabajador agrícola es vital y esencial para este país. Ya es hora y ya ha sido hora de que la gente en este país entienda que sin tu trabajo literalmente no podrían comer. Eres una inspiración para los trabajadores agrícolas del futuro. Así que solo tengo una última pregunta. ¿Qué mensaje o mensajes le gustaría dejar para la próxima generación de trabajadores agrícolas? El mensaje sería uh, que tu trabajo, el trabajo de todos los, los campesinos, um, se reconozca y no tengan miedo de hablar, no tengan miedo de decir um, sus derechos, sus derechos, que somos, um, vinimos a este país a salir adelante um, con nuestro esfuerzo, con nuestra dedicación en el trabajo, um, que si vienes con una meta de salir adelante, sigas tu meta, no te desvíes y que si tú tienes la oportunidad de que tu voz escuche por ti, por tus compañeros, no te dé miedo a hablar, no te dé miedo a decir Um, lo que está pasando en, en, en tu cuadrilla, lo que está pasando en tu vida um, de trabajo. Que tú digas um, si un empleador o un compañero de, de trabajo, tú miras una necesidad que él tenga y, y tú ves que alguien no lo ayuda, tú puedes decir, por favor, ayuden a mi compañero, no tener miedo, porque nuestra voz vale, nosotros valemos como personas, somos personas como todos los que están en este país Blanca, mil mil gracias por estar aquí conmigo hoy gracias por compartir su historia y por ser tan honesta al hacerlo le envío un abrazote a usted y a su familia, muchas gracias muchísimas gracias y gracias a, a ti por tomarte el tiempo de, de, de llamarme y saber mi historia, gracias por las personas que de todo el equipo Gracias por las personas que están enfrente, como la señora uh, Mónica, la señora Huerta, el señor Valderrama. We'll be right back after this break. I love sharing positive tips with my listeners on everything from health challenges to relationship troubles. Because life happens, baby, but you got this. Hi there, I'm Honey German, and I know we can all use some positive energy these days. That's why I make sure to empower my community, because a bit of motivation and support can go a long way. And luckily, we have State Farm to support us. Like when you talk to a State Farm agent to choose the coverage you need, and they have the options to protect the things you value most. It's the perfect positive tip you need. 
State Farm is also a big supporter of the My Cultura Podcast Network, where we as podcast hosts get to share our experiences and stories. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite My Cultura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Welcome back to Essential Voices. Blanca's English story starts now. My name is Blanca Arroyo. I live in Monterrey County in the state of California. I've spent more than 20 years working as a farm worker. Blanca, I just want to thank you so much for speaking with me today, for sharing your story and for your time. Um, I really hope that with this conversation, you feel celebrated and recognized for the work that you've done for so many years and that you were still doing during the pandemic. When so many people got to stay home, you were away from home and away from your kids. You were working in the fields, harvesting the very fruits and vegetables that were feeding this country. So can you describe what a typical work day looks like for you? On a typical day, we get up at 4.30 in the morning to make lunch for ourselves and our children. Then we take our kids to the babysitter and go to work. Work starts at 6 in the morning and goes until 4 in the afternoon. We work on broccoli, grapes, strawberries, all different types of work. But everything we do is in the field. We harvest the fruit, we harvest the vegetables, and then after our work, we have to go and pick up our children from the babysitter. It's difficult for us, too, because many times we're not with our kids on days like their birthdays because we have to go to work. It's also difficult because we leave them with other people, like the babysitter, and they're the ones who take our kids to school, not us. So it's really hard work, both in the fields and at home for us mothers. I work because I don't want to be a burden to the state. I don't want to be a burden to the government. I want to be able to thrive with my children. And I work to give them everything that I possibly can. That sounds really, really hard, really difficult. But I imagine that your children take a lot of pride in everything that you are able to do for them. Um, and, you know, related to, you know, your children, but more so your childhood, when did you come to this country and how old were you? And also, why did you start working as a farm worker? Um, when I came, I was only 14 years old. My father came to the United States first and then I came. But I thought I was going to school, right? Sadly, that's not what happened. And I wanted to go to school because I've always really liked school. 
But my mother and my younger siblings stayed behind. So I had to go to work with my dad on the broccoli. And it was very difficult because I was so young that sometimes I couldn't reach the machines. And when you start working so hard at such a young age, your childhood, your youth, it ends because you're taking on responsibilities that weren't yours to take on in that moment. I took on the responsibility of working. And from that moment, this mentality gets into your head of, well, I came to this country to work and to work. And because of this, your own dreams, they go away. Wow, that image that you just shared, um, when you couldn't reach the machine, that really sticks out to me. And it shows me that during a time when most children were in, in school in the United States, you were out working and you could barely even reach the machines that you needed to work. That's really very intense. And it sounds like it was difficult or maybe, you know, disappointing um, for you to get here thinking that you were going to school when you were actually coming here to work. That also really sticks out to me. And since now it's been more than 20 years since you've been working in the fields, you're definitely an expert in what you do. Can you describe what you do every day, what fruits and vegetables you're working with and what the harvesting process is like? Yeah, sure. Look, if you're working with broccoli, you first put your broccoli cutting clothes on. Then you go to where you have to to cut the broccoli. Then a big band passes along and a machine goes in front of you and you have to be cutting, cutting, cutting the broccoli. And then the women go on top of the machines and the men go below cutting the broccoli. And so that broccoli, it's getting picked up by huge tractors. Then the broccoli goes to the packaging center or the cooler, and there are other people there. They're packaging the broccoli. They also take the broccoli and get it separated for salads. So that's working with the broccoli. If you go to work with grapes on a normal day, then you have to clean the part of the grape that is sprouting. You have to choose the shoots that each bush has. Then it starts to grow more. You have to take off the leaves, making room for each grape to take in the heat it needs for it to mature, to ripen, right? When you're working with grapes, people can go in at three in the morning to cut grapes. You have to carry them more than 20 pounds, 25 pounds that you have to be carrying frequently. Then you empty it in barrels. And after you've already filled the barrels, the grapes get weighed. After weighing them, they're moved to the winery. There are other people there in the winery. Um, they're in charge of receiving the grapes and processing them until wine is made. And um, if you're working with strawberries, because I also work with strawberries, it's the same as the grapes. You also have to make sure you're only picking quality produce because there are people who check the quality so that it can pass and then you get paid. <laughs> it's a lot, Mia. <laughs> it's a lot. And all of that is done by people like me, my colleagues, and other essential workers in this country. It sounds like you do so many jobs on any given day, even if you're only, you know, doing one of the jobs that you mentioned. There's still so many different components. Um, but is there anything that you're particularly proud of related to your job that happened specifically during the pandemic? 
I believe that we are all proud of the work that we do. And even more so when you see that all of the produce, all the fruit, all the vegetables can be found in people's homes. It goes to my house, just like it goes to yours, to your neighbor's house. It even arrives at the president's house. California vegetables. That's when you say, there's my work. There's my, how do I explain it? My pride to be an essential worker. Wow. Um, Wow. It gives me goosebumps to imagine that the food that you harvested is being served to the president. That's really a source of great pride. And it's just incredible. So from what you're saying, it sounds like work didn't really slow down too much when the pandemic happened. But could you describe what your days at work were like before the pandemic and what daily changes occurred due to the pandemic? Before the pandemic, everything was normal. You could greet your colleagues. You were working um, your eight hours, your nine hours. After the pandemic, it was no longer like that. After the pandemic, many of us lost our jobs because there was no one who would take care of our children. So we had to stay home, at least one of the parents. In my situation, uh, my oldest kids had to take care of their younger siblings so that we could go out to work, right? But there was this fear that you can't even imagine a fear of bringing COVID home. We are faced with the, in the fields that you have to work with your partner, two groups, um, next to them, you can't be near them. You can't talk to them. You can't grab your lunch with them. You can't, it, it was difficult. It was very difficult because After a week, I think maybe after two weeks, there was a problem because there was no food in the supermarket. This was another another trauma for us to endure. And it was at the top of our minds for us as mothers. What do you want to feed your children? There's no more dinner for your kids at home. So in the fields... The work was already different because there were not as many hours for us to work. Later on, there were a lot of fires and there was a lot of smoke. So (laughs) we had a year. I'll tell you, it was difficult, real difficult. On one occasion, on one occasion, there was no more food in the refrigerator. I no longer had food. And I called someone from the child care center where I would drop off my child. That person brought food to my house, to my table. Thanks to her, I had food. In a way, I felt that I had to go to work and nobody recognized it. Nobody saw or appreciated it. And my children, being citizens, they had to... 
suffer in a certain way. Uh, deficiencies, sometimes with food, uh, with school, because there was no internet at home or with computers. It was real hard, girl. It was very difficult what we went through. Thank you so much for sharing that with me, Blanca. What you went through and what you experienced during the pandemic, no one should have to go through that. And the irony isn't lost that you're a person who works so hard to provide food for others, but that you and your family didn't have food is just, I mean, it's just totally unacceptable. And it's a huge disparity that must not only be addressed, but resolved. You should never have to go through that again. Never. And even though I just met you today, I'm so grateful that you've supported your children despite how difficult it's been. They're so, so lucky to have you as a mom and you're an inspiration. Something that we haven't mentioned yet, which is related to the obvious problem that at times you didn't have the resources that you needed during the pandemic is personal protective equipment. When you were working in the field, were you provided with masks and other personal protective equipment? Well, look, at the beginning, yes. They gave you um, the masks. They gave you uh, the gloves. My employer, I will say, they tried to help us. But the time came that there were no masks. So um, we had to improvise. Us women here in Monterrey County used handkerchiefs. We used handkerchiefs to cover our faces, you know? But to see that there was a big need for masks, many women improvised and began to make their own masks. I thank God that my family received some masks from Senora Monica Ramirez. She got a person in Los Angeles, a designer or someone who heard my story and sent some masks for my family and for my parents who are older. And that... I appreciated it. I appreciated it so much because it was a huge help, you know? Wow, it's amazing to hear about Senora Monica and her organizing to get you masks when you needed them. Knowing that there are people like Monica who advocate for farm workers, it makes a huge difference in fighting for your rights, even when those rights should have been guaranteed from the start. And so speaking of this, what are some of the rights and protections and changes that are necessary to honor, celebrate, and respect agricultural workers like yourself in this country? Um, for me, for example, that our work be recognized. What we are doing in the fields and that people see that our work is valuable for me and my colleagues and people like my mother, like my father people who worked in the field for a long time, their work was not valued. So now those people are older and were left without health insurance. They stayed sick because they could no longer work because they were laid off from work and due to their immigration status, um, they couldn't do anything. So I don't want this to happen to me. If I continue working in the fields, I want to feel valued. No matter how little myself or my colleagues have, because we are the people who never stopped working. 
when the pandemic started. When the pandemic started, people still had fruit. They had vegetables. They had meat. Because we went out to work. And we did not have the right to receive help from the government. No one sent help. Um, I did receive help thanks to Cesar Chavez Foundation and thanks to those who helped us, the essential workers here in California. I don't know about other states, but we received help. And I think Senora Huerta, because Mr. Cesar Chavez is no longer alive, but they were concerned about us agriculture workers. What I really, really want is for people to see that we are human. Let them see that we are not a public burden. We're not. We are like all the people who are in this country, whether here legally or illegally. We are all equally important as human beings. More than anything, we are human beings with feelings. We are essential in this country. Wow. I have goosebumps again. That was said so, so powerfully. I, I could feel it and feel your words in every bone in my body. And I couldn't agree with you more. Every farm worker is vital and essential to this country. And it's about time. It's been time for people in this country to understand that without you and your job, they literally couldn't eat. You're an inspiration to the agricultural workers of the future. So I just have one last question. What message or messages would you like to leave for the next generation of farm workers? My message would be um, that your work, the work of all the farm workers is recognized. And don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to state your rights. Ask for your rights. We came to this country to get ahead. Um, with our effort, with our dedication at work, that if you come with a goal of getting ahead, follow your goal. Do not deviate. And that if you have the opportunity to have your voice heard by your colleagues, don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to say, um, what is happening to your team? What is happening in your work life? That you speak up, whether it's to an employer or a coworker, you speak up if you see someone has a need and that no one is helping. You can say, please help my colleague. Don't be scared because our voice counts. We matter as people. We are people like everyone else in this country. Blanca, thank you so, so much for being here with me today, for sharing your story and for being just so honest in doing so. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I'm sending a huge hug to you and your family. Thank you very much. Thanks to you for taking the time to call me and hear my story. And thanks to the whole team and to the people fighting for our rights, like Senora Monica and Senora Huerta and Mr. Valderrama. 
Blanca is such an inspiration to me, to her family, to all of us. She is literally responsible for feeding this country even in the moments when she herself didn't have food. It's mind-blowing to me that Blanca's work and the work of so many of our immigrants often goes unappreciated when these are the folks that keep our country up and running. We literally couldn't survive without Blanca. Que Dios la bendiga. Mm, that was powerfully said, Wilmer. Not sure I can follow that, but it was an incredible honor to speak with Blanca and learn about what she experienced throughout the pandemic. Something that really sticks with me is when she told us that when she came to the U.S., she was only 14 and she expected to go to school. But instead, she went out to work in the fields with her dad and hasn't stopped in over 20 years. Blanca didn't get to have what so many of us here in the United States takes for granted. So I'm eternally grateful to Blanca for feeding me and for her time. When we get back from the break, we'll talk to Monica Ramirez of Justice for Migrant Women and iconic civil rights activist Dolores Huerta. As an actor, a producer, and a proud Latino father, my days can get very busy, which is why I make sure to dedicate time to what's important, like supporting my community through my work, sharing my Colombian and Venezuelan culture, and being present for my family, which is everything to me. Hey, everyone, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and we're reflecting on what matters most. I start by giving thanks for good support in my life whenever I need to make the big decisions. How about you? If it's insurance you need, State Farm is there to help you choose the right coverage for you. And State Farm offers great support 24-7. Just call an agent. State Farm is also a big supporter of Michael Tuda Podcast Network by helping to share our Latinx voices. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tuda shows wherever you get your podcasts. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Today, our guests need no introduction, but just in case, we're here today with iconic civil rights activist Dolores Huerta and with Monica Ramirez, the founder of Justice for Migrant Women. Hola, Senora Huerta, and hola, Monica. I am incredibly honored to be with you here today, and I'm so excited to hear your thoughts. Wilmer, take it away. Monica and Dolores, it's a, it's a beautiful experience to have you here on our humble little stage Going into the clip that you heard, what are your reactions to Blanca's story? And let's start with you, Dolores. Well, it's been a really hard time for farm workers, as Blanca was telling us her story. And it's even been harder for some of the undocumented workers. And Blanca didn't mention how many of the farm workers have gotten sick from COVID. 
and how many of them have actually died because so many of our population, they do have these underlying conditions like diabetes, hypertension, obesity, and it's sad how many we have actually lost. And the fact that they were not really given the protective equipment that they needed from the outset. There were many places where the farmworkers actually went on strike because they were not given the preventative equipment that they needed. And there were cases where the employers insisted that they come to work. And not only in the fields, but also in the packing sheds where Mm -hmm. people are working right next to each other. And uh, they were told that they had to come back to work, even though the workers didn't have masks or the equipment to to be able to sterilize their hands and then uh, standing right next to each other. In her case, Blanca did mention that the workers were told that they had to be apart. And she also mentioned the smoke that they've been having to inhale, even right now, you know, with the fires, uh, like here in Kern County, all of the smoke that's coming from the fires, you can hardly see the sun right now. And because the air quality is so polluted. So you can imagine what the workers are having to go through in addition to the heat. So Mm -hmm. here we have this heat that's 105, 106, 107. The temperatures have gone up to 109, 110. So what the farm workers have had to go through this year is just incredible. And then the loss of income. Blanca mentioned that uh, one of the parents, in her case, she had to stay home with the kids or she had to have one of the oldest children stay home with the children. So immediately there has been a loss of income to these parents. And one of the things that the Dolores Huerta Foundation has been working on, we're doing food banks almost every weekend. A couple of months ago, we did 10 food banks in one day. We gave away like 70,000 pounds of food in one day, including eggs, fresh chickens, yogurt, butter, things that they usually don't get at the food bank. And the other thing, too, is, yes, it was great that we had the stimulus package, but there is one benefit that the workers have and even undocumented people can get. And this is the child tax credit, which is a check that comes into their home every single month. And for our undocumented families, all they have to do is file their income taxes. Okay, they can get a special number if they're undocumented and that money can come in for their children. So in the work that we're doing, you know, we're also doing outreach going door to door, getting people to get their vaccination appointments. And we make the appointment for them. And then we do the vaccine clinics to make sure that they got their vaccines, you know. And so we also give them a leaflet telling them all of the resources that are available to them. If you got sick from COVID, you can apply for workers' compensation. And then the state has made a housing available for people that have been sick from COVID. And we have a call line also, by the way, that people can call in if they need any information. So we're doing everything that we can to try to make life easier for the farm workers and other workers. So not just farm workers, but we do live in these agricultural communities where most of the farm workers live. Thank you so much, Dolores. You just pointed out so many critical topics. And one thing that strikes me especially is the information that you shared regarding undocumented families filing income taxes so that they can receive government support for their children. And I'm really glad that you bring this up and bring it to our listeners' attention so that they can spread the word about this. And also, it's just so totally amazing to hear about what you and your foundation are doing to be a big part of the solution for the severe lack of protections that farm workers face. Um, turning it over to you, Monica, what are your thoughts on Blanca's story? 
I think for me, one of the things that's so hard to hear is just the trauma that people have experienced throughout this and also the sense of isolation, you know, when she's talking about the social distancing and the fact that before people could talk to each other, they could talk about what they were going through or just about their daily lives. And all of a sudden that wasn't possible because they had to be distanced. And then eventually they had to leave the workforce. And there are so many things that have been difficult for everyone during the pandemic. But to think about folks like Blanca, who were working all day and then came home and there wasn't food for her family and then feeling completely alone in this experience. Like, I can't imagine how afraid the families were in those moments. Blanca's decision to call the local daycare, the local Head Start to ask for help. I think that speaks to the importance of those community relationships, but also it speaks to the fact that I think Blanca probably wouldn't have called before, right? That was like a last resort, but at that moment, it was what was required. And and that tells a different story about our community that people don't often think about. They think of our community as one that is always asking for help, that is always trying to get something to get through a difficult time. And I think Blanca's story points to the fact that she waited as long as she could because she was trying to do everything she could in her power to help provide for her families. And so I feel like that's an important part of the conversation too, that our community worked as long and as hard as they possibly could to keep providing for this country. And they didn't get the return on their work. And they got to the point where they didn't have what they needed and they weren't sure who to ask. And so I'm hopeful out of this pandemic, one of the things that we will all understand better is how can we better support people? And it certainly starts with Congress. Congress needs to make the changes to finally protect farm workers and provide the rights that they always should have had. And certainly state political leaders need to do the same. It shouldn't be on organizations to fill the gaps where the government has failed. But I'm hopeful that coming out of this pandemic, there will be constant support and resources so that families like Blanca's will know that there's always a net of support available for them. We'll be right back after this break. As an actor, a producer, and a proud Latino father, my days can get very busy, which is why I make sure to dedicate time to what's important, like supporting my community through my work, sharing my Colombian and Venezuelan culture, and being present for my family, which is everything to me. Hey everyone, it's Wilmer Valderrama. And when reflecting on what matters most, I start by giving thanks for good support in my life whenever I need to make the big decisions. How about you? If it's insurance you need, State Farm is there to help you choose the right coverage for you. And State Farm offers great support 24-7. Just call an agent. State Farm is also a big supporter of Michael Tuda Podcast Network by helping to share our Latinx voices. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tuda shows wherever you get your podcast. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. 
I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Welcome back to Essential Voices. Turning it over to you, Dolores, you've dedicated your life to incredible activism and organizing for so many civil rights causes, which include farm worker and immigrant labor rights. But how has the pandemic affected your and your foundation's organizing and activism? It's made it a lot more difficult, starting with the census. We know the census was going to be very, very important because the census was going to determine how the different political lines are going to be drawn, mainly for our congressional seats, our assembly seats. So we had to get out there and try to get as many people to sign up for the census. And so, again, because of the fear of what Donald Trump had been doing, attacking Mm. immigrants, especially Latinos, it was very difficult. So what we had to end up doing is we combined the census gathering with our food banks, okay? You want to get a box of food? You got to sign up for the census, all right? So, so we were able to get a lot of people to sign up. And then, of course, we had to do a lot of work on the telephone because we didn't want our people to go out door to door. We did end up having to go out door to door uh, to get people to sign up, but uh, we made sure that they had shields. They had plastic shields and they had masks and they had gloves and they had all of the sanitizing uh, liquids that they needed. So we were able to. And of course, now the San Joaquin Valley, for those of you that don't know, guess what? Latinos are the majority. Okay, before we were the majority minority. Well, now we are just the majority, period. We've seen that in Texas. Now, the Latinos are now close to being the majority in Texas also. So all of that work that we had to do through Zooms and Internet, phone calling, going to flea markets, you know, uh, every place that people were at, churches, et cetera, it paid off because now hopefully we can get some new districts that are going to be drawn, we can get more progressives and more Latinos elected. But the work has not been easy, but we haven't stopped. Yeah, I mean, not being in person, I'd imagine it really does affect the organizing. Um, Not being able to be in someone's home and share space together, getting to know one another in person. Um, But despite this, you've continuously been advocating for progress and fighting for the rights of so many folks. Each person who's been organizing throughout the pandemic, whether it's on your level, Dolores and Monica, or the farm workers in Blanca's community faced with drastic challenges during the pandemic. For Blanca, one of these challenges was finding PPE. And we heard her say that her employer was able to provide PPE for a while, but then it became hard for, for the employer to find PPE. At that point, Monica, you stepped in to provide PPE for Blanca. And what were some of the initiatives that you and Justice for Migrant Women had been and are still working on to protect farm workers and immigrants during the pandemic? Yeah, so fashion designer Mario De La Torre, he had been making masks for hospitals in the L.A. area. And um, his wife comes from a farm worker family. And so they decided that they needed to start making masks for farm workers because they knew that the community needed them. So they actually reached out to a friend, Antonio Tejerino from Hispanic Heritage Foundation, and said, we want to create this mask for farm workers project. And then they approached us and they said, will you partner with us on this project? So we started building the mask for farm workers project with them. And we contacted the National Center for Farm Worker Health, the health clinics, to see if they would be a partner to help with the distribution of the masks. And 
when we made that call, we heard from them that the health centers were actually having issues as well. They were laying off outreach staff. They didn't have the resources they needed. And so rather than just being a distributor of the mass, that they needed to be beneficiaries as well. And so that partnership came together and the masks were made and distributed to farm workers in Ohio, where we're based and in different parts of the country. And then there was a separate part of the initiative that was focused on getting PPE masks and other items to the health clinics in different parts of the country. That project kind of evolved because our organization, Justice for Migrant Women, we don't work only with farm workers. We also work with migrant women workers in other industries. And we started hearing from other women that they too didn't have the PPE. And in some cases they were talking about having to pay a lot of money for the PPE when they did find it, like price gouging was happening, things of that nature. And so the decision was made to take the project that we created around masks for farm workers and create masks for migrants. And with different partners set that project up and we began working with an organization that was giving jobs to women in Guatemala. And so the women in Guatemala started to make the masks and they were essentially making them for their own neighbors, right? Because there were so many people who were coming from Central America and the masks started being distributed along the border for the migrants who were in the tent cities You know, so we've seen that it's many different workers, not just farm workers that need PPE. And it couldn't be a one-time deal because, you know, the masks, they have to wash them. They can only wash them so many times before they disintegrate or, you know, they need to replace them. And so we had to figure out, like, how do we keep replenishing them? And it wasn't just our organization that was doing that work. Many organizations around the country were making masks, sewing masks, creating masks, and trying to figure out how to continually fill that gap. And I think one of the outcomes was that, organically from the various stories that were being run on TV and and through the newspaper, individuals across the country started sewing masks, creating mask sewing groups and started sending them in or giving them to farm workers in their local area. You know, there's still need. We haven't closed the gaps. And now with the Delta variant, we know that we need to figure out how to get more resources into the community. But those projects at least provided somewhat of a blueprint for us to be able to work with and build off of. Earlier in the conversation, you brought up hope and hearing you now talk about how the various stories being run um, on TV and in the newspapers ignited folks all over the country to start making masks for farm workers in their local areas. It gives me a lot of hope that shining a light on, on farm workers and sharing farm worker stories will continue to inspire communities to band together and continue to fight for farm workers' rights and take an active part in mutual aid when there's a lack of resources. There's still a long way to go, but both you and Senora Huerta are instrumental in in creating change for farm workers. Um, To that end, Dolores, an analogy that Wilmer often likes to make is about Mount Everest, and I'm going to borrow it from him now. Um, Climbing Mount Everest is an achievable goal, but it takes incredible resilience to do so. I'd imagine standing at the foot of Mount Everest, looking up and summoning to the top looks like the most daunting goal. Um, So for you, what is the Mount Everest equivalent for your advocacy and organizing for farm worker rights? Well, I think we're looking at it right now. I talked about the child tax credit, which is amazing because every single family uh, that has children under the age of 16 is getting a check every single month for every child that they have. This is going to cut the child poverty in half. And when I say that we're looking at Mount Everest right now, it's called the three and a half trillion dollar bill 
that President Biden is trying to pass in the Senate. Yeah. OK, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that uh, three and a half trillion dollar bill, it includes pre-college education. It includes a universal child care. It includes expanding health care. This is amazing that we are looking at Mount Everest right now, mm-hmm. but we have a few politicians that are standing in the way. People like Kirsten Sinema from Arizona, Joe Manchin from West Virginia, they're the ones that are standing in the way. And we've only got a couple of weeks to be able to move those people. And some of the congressmen, so we've got congressmen in Texas, Henry Cuellar is one of them. He's been in the Congress a long time. Well, he's coming out against the three and a half trillion dollar human infrastructure bill that President Biden is trying to pass. And like Bernie Sanders said, what good does it do you to build a bridge so that people can sleep under it? OK, <laughs> you know, we have so many homeless people so we can make it happen right now with the administration that we have with President Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, our congresspeople from California. So we need to make a big push right now. And I just want to say to everybody, you want to do Wilbur a big favor? Okay, call people that you know in other states. We're okay with our senators, Feinstein and Padilla. But if you have friends over there where you're at, uh, Monica in Ohio, okay, you have one good senator, uh, Senator (laughs) Brown. Brown. I don't don't know about the other one, but just put the heat on them right now. Get a lot of emails into them. Get a lot of phone calls into them. And uh, all of your people that you have, Waldemar, on your list. You know, please beg them and tell them, OK, we've got to contact your senators right now, your U.S. senators. Tell them to push for the three and a half trillion dollar infrastructure bill. Now, three and a half trillion dollars seems like a lot of money, but this is going over 10 years. OK, so when you talk about it going over 10 years, it's not that much money. And the other way that we don't have to have a Kirsten and Manchin is to get rid of the filibuster. OK. And that could happen. It's being debated right now as we speak in the U.S. Senate. The main thing is that we have to understand that we have the power in our hands to rebuild it, to do something about this. And it only takes a few minutes to call your senator and ask him to do the right thing to pass that three and a half trillion infrastructure bill that we need. And not ever at any time since the Depression when Franklin Delano Roosevelt was our president, has the need been so great in our Mm. society? You know, the fact that we have so much poverty, but at the same time, we have so many billionaires and millionaires, okay? And part of the infrastructure package is to make the millionaires and the billionaires pay their taxes, okay? Just the way that everybody else does. So this is what we have to do, and we can make it happen. So... Yes, that ideal, that goal that we want is within our reach, but we have Mm. to act right now. Right now, we have a window to do so. Uh, Monica, do you want to share anything on that? I totally agree with everything that Dolores has said. And I think that as we're making these calls to our senators, we also need to be asking them to support a citizenship bill for immigrant essential workers because it's been too long that our immigration system has not served our community. It was made broken. It was made not to function for certain groups of people. And in order for things to actually be better for immigrants across our country, we need a bill that would provide them with citizenship. And if we can do right by immigrant workers in our country, we can do right by all workers. Absolutely agreed, Monica. To echo your words, for things to actually be better for immigrants in this country, our show aims to highlight that it only takes sharing one person's story to start changing the cultural narrative. 
And this cultural narrative shift plays a part in making things better in partnership with the necessity of bills to provide these folks with citizenship and dozens and dozens of other rights and guaranteed protections. With Wilmer working in the entertainment industry, he gets to see firsthand how the media influences this cultural narrative shift and how for so many folks that have been marginalized and minoritized, the narrative is beginning to slowly change, slowly, on screen. Um, I'd like to know how you both envision this cultural narrative shift changing in regards to farm workers and immigrant workers. Dolores, take it away. Well, we have to understand that racism and discrimination stems from slavery. And Mm -hmm. the indigenous people were the first slaves before they brought people in from Africa to be the slaves. So racism is a justification uh, for having people work hard to make other people rich. And this is the way that you could justify it by then discriminating against people. And most of them, of course, have been people of color. So we have to understand where the roots of racism are at Mm -hmm. and then how this racism manifests itself. And it does manifest itself in looking down on people who work with their hands. And of course, farm workers are the ones that are out there doing that work as did the indigenous people and the slaves that were brought in from Africa. So once we understand that, and not only, but it manifests itself in the way the women are treated, it manifests itself in the way the children are treated. So Mm -hmm. we can understand where the roots of racism started and are perpetuated even to this day, then we realize why we have to get rid of it. And then not look down on the people that pick our food or the people that clean our buildings or people that work in restaurants. These are the people that we have to really uplift, the people that yeah. build our buildings. And, and these are the people that keep society clean and safe. And they build our society. So instead of looking down on manual workers, we need to respect them and we need to uplift them. And we have to keep saying all of those in the corporate world out there, you have got to pay your fair share of taxes Mm -hmm. so that everybody can have a good life, including the people that do the hardest work of all that put the food on our table. Thank you for sharing your thoughts, Dolores. Monica, what are your thoughts about this? Well, I think that when it comes to the narrative work, especially when it comes to the Latinx community and the narrative work, we've heard about the different reports that have come out about the underrepresentation of the Latinx community in the entertainment industry and the way that the Latino community is being typecast. I think that for the folks who are doing narrative shift work, we've got to be very careful about how we approach that conversation because what's happened in that conversation is exactly what Dolores is talking about in terms of looking down on certain groups of people. So when you read the media articles about those reports, or even when you read the reports, the conversation is about how the only roles that are for Latinx community members are for low paid workers, and they list the different jobs. And when that conversation is playing out, the way it's been playing out is that those are bad jobs, that those aren't good jobs, that those are not worthy jobs, and that those are not the jobs that we want to have or that we want to play. And I think that is a very dangerous conversation that we have unwittingly taken on. And we need to say those are dignified jobs. These jobs are absolutely dignified jobs. And we would play those roles with pride, but our community also occupies other space too. And we want to be represented in all the spaces and all the professions. And so I think that there's a whole body of work that's being developed around narrative shift. And, you know, Wilmer, I know you've been part of those conversations too. And I think it's part of our responsibility to say to people, if you're going to talk about the roles that we occupy, don't talk about the roles of low paid workers as if they are not good. 
because that is dangerous. And if we're going to be pushing for the narrative to change, we have to make sure that we're saying part of the narrative change is that these are good, dignified jobs that we should all be proud to hold. And we owe these folks a debt of gratitude. And I think we've got to start pushing on that side when it comes to the narrative shift question. Incredibly well said, Monica. Thank you. So in coming to the end of this incredibly powerful conversation today, I'd like to take a moment with you, Dolores, if I may, to ask you, um, in your illustrious life as an organizer and activist, what are one or two things that make you most proud that you've been able to accomplish in the fight for civil rights? Well, I mentioned some of the things that we were able to win for farm workers, like unemployment insurance, having toilets in the fields. That was a great big one. (laughs) Having cold drinking water for farm workers, the right to organize the amnesty bill of 1986, where we were able to get the two million farm workers got their legalization status and probably another three or four million of uh, residents from the cities were able to get their legal status in the country. I think the folks that are listening to this podcast, they probably know somebody in their family that got this. The fact that we were able to get ballots in the Spanish language in California, driver's licenses in the Spanish language, passing bills that if you were a legal resident to the United States, that you can get public assistance, aid to needy children, aid to the blind, aid to the disabled. These are all bills that the community service organization and the United Farm Workers that we were able to pass. And then we were really instrumental in passing this bill I mentioned a little while ago that people over 50 years of age, undocumented people can get health care. And so, uh, I mean, just passing these progressive laws and knowing that we can do this and we can take what we have won here in California, that we can take it to the other states. But we just got to continue to just ask people to be involved be engaged. I know that, Wilmer, you do a lot of work with uh, Voto Latino, you know, and uh, if we can just get all of our people to get out there, become citizens, register to vote, get engaged, we're going to see our power manifest itself and uh, the people that we elect uh, to Congress, to our school boards, to our state legislators. So we have a lot of work to do. And so I think the thing I'm most proud of is just that I've been blessed to be able to do all of this work. And we're, we're blessed to have you in our lives Very as a mentor and as an inspiration. And uh, Monica, you carry the torch for so much as well. And I appreciate you too. And any uh, last messages you'd like to send anyone that you'd like to speak to in this moment? Well, number one, don't forget, we need you to call your friends in other states. Monica, especially you there in Ohio and other places to call their senator so that we can amend or get rid of the filibuster. Okay. That is the priority right now. Senators are going back to work there in Washington a week after next. And we're right at the brink there, but we can pass some of these laws. So this is absolutely crucial. And if you want to learn more about our work with the Lotus Huerta Foundation, just go to DoloresHuerta.org. Okay, that's our website, DoloresHuerta.org. And we welcome you to join our movement. Well, I just want to thank you for the invitation. This has been a really inspiring conversation. And, um, you know, I just hope that folks who are listening remember that there are farm workers 
who are literally sustaining them every day. And in the states where they are, they should find the organizations that are doing the work and they should support them. They should support the workers in their states and they should support the organizations that are helping the workers in their states because there's a lot of work to be done across the country. And there are people organizing all over the country around farm workers' rights. And for our organization, we're based in Ohio, but we do work in other states too. And if folks want to learn more about us, they can look for us at justice, the number four, women.org. Beautiful. And uh, as we close down, Dolores, can we get a CISA puede? Absolutely. Yeah. And just to say to everybody out there, remember that you've got the power, but the power is in our vote. Okay. And all of us have to become messengers. All of us have to become organizers and talk to those people that are not yet engaged and convince them that we need them. Si se puede. Si se puede. So that happened. Puchica, Wilmer. Puchica, MR. <laughs> How is it that in every episode I'm rendered nearly speechless by our guests? I know, MR, then I need to I need to catch my breath because you grew up hearing stories of Dolores Huerta and she is just as impressive, if not more so, when you speak to her. You know, the fact that she is still so engaged and so passionate, even at 91, makes her the definition of um, hashtag goals. Isn't that what the kids say? Hashtag goals. <laughs> That's what I heard. Yeah. Hashtag goals. Indeed. And Monica is making a huge difference for so many with the work that she does. She absolutely saved lives with those mask initiatives. And her words about shifting the narrative regarding essential workers have stuck with me ever since we spoke. Me too. So next week, we'll continue to try follow Monica's example by speaking with essential worker Liz Abuna, the owner of 40 Acres Fresh Market in Chicago. Followed by a roundtable with actress, entrepreneur, and investor Keisha Knight-Pulion and Pinky Cole, Atlanta-based entrepreneur and the creator of Slutty Vegan. Essential Voices with Wilmer Valderrama is produced by me, M.R. Raquel, Allison Shano, and Kevin Rutkowski. With production support from associate producer Lillian Holman. Executive producers Wilmer Valderrama, Adam Reynolds, Leo Clem, and Aaron Hilliard. This episode was edited by M.R. Raquel and Sean Tracy and features original music by Will Rosati. Special thanks to this week's essential voice, Blanca Arroyo, and to our thought leaders, Dolores Huerta and Monica Ramirez. Special thanks to Sam Galarza, who provided the English voiceover component for Blanca's story. Additional thanks to Maeve Elder, Melanie Murray, Amaranta Campos, and Greg Daisa. This is a Clamor and WV Entertainment production in partnership with iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. There are a lot of things that matter to me. Family, community, culture, and peace of mind. Hi, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when balancing life, I have to say nothing brings more comfort than having support. And when it comes to ensuring those things that matter to you the most... State Farm offers the support with an agent available in person or on the phone to discuss your coverage options. Support when you need it, however you choose. That's State Farm's way. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. From BBC Radio 4, 
Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. <laughs> 